0: Welcome to Homestead Story. We're Peter and Kristen.
1: Join us as we share a new but old kind of family life.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Peter and Kristen coming to you from our Maryland homestead.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: Okay, so last time we talked about butchering our chickens and turkeys, and since then, we cooked up one of our three turkeys, and we said we were going to be honest about what it was like.
1: What it tasted what like. What it
0: tasted like. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. It was really, really good. I can definitely say it was the best turkey okay, I've ever had. Okay,
1: hold on. Hold on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think you're exaggerating a little bit.
0: No, I thought it was so good. Okay,
1: the white... Okay, I'll, I'll be super honest. Well, I guess we have different opinions. Yeah. The white meat was definitely the best White meat I've ever had. Right. But I'm a dark meat fan, and I felt like the dark meat was a little bit more gamey tasting than other dark meat. Yeah. I don't know why. Did you feel that? I don't
0: know. No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, it that's my It had opinion. more flavor to it than any turkey I've ever had before. Oh. Now, it was a much smaller bird. We had heritage birds, and this was one of the smallest heritage types that we got. It was all they had left when we ordered the turkey. So it was a small bird. Which I think meant it didn't get so dried out when we cooked it. And right. all we did for the first one was just cook it straight up in the oven. Right. Um, we didn't do anything to it. So.
1: Oh, and I, this was a couple of weeks ago, but I also made homemade gravy.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I had
1: Pete, cause I don't, I've don't. i never really made gravy right. before. Right,
0: we get gravy from a jar.
1: Yeah, I mean, we only eat it like once a year, so right. it, it's you know it's kind of like whatever, one of those things. And I had Pete, when he went to the store, pick up some gravy. And then I'm looking at this turkey that we raised, and I'm like, I can't put this jarred gravy on this. We're about to
0: eat the healthiest turkey of our life. I'm not going to put this on it. Some junky jar. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. So I real quick like looked up how to make a a gravy and it was so easy. It's just funny like the things that we don't know how to do that are actually so easy. So I just made a gravy really quickly and it was great. It was awesome. It was like a little Thanksgiving dinner in what January February. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was good. I think we'll probably try and brine the next one before we cook it. Mm-hmm. But either way, it was delicious. So I think we're all on board with doing turkeys every year now.
1: Right. But I I mean, I, my opinion, though, was the dark meat wasn't as great. I'll, I will be honest with you. I thought yeah, it was a little gamey. I disagree. Okay. Well, anyway.
0: We'll agree to disagree.
1: <laughs> 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 okay. But yeah, the, the light meat, the white meat was great. Um, also, another fun thing that I did for the first time was make um, butternut squash soup from our butternuts.
0: I think February might be a great time of year to just learn new recipes.
1: Yeah, right. It's so much fun. So Pete made butternut. You tried to make butternut soup.
0: I've made it here and there for the last few years since I've been growing butternut squash, and it's not worked out. Well, so
1: Peter well. is a really good. Peter is a really great cook, but he does not like to follow recipes, and yeah. so sometimes we have some tension over that. Because well, sometimes I'm like, it's
0: amazing and yes. then other times it's But
1: I'm like, if you had just followed a recipe, this could have been so great. But then again, a lot of times you make things that are amazing yeah. from not following a recipe. But you made butternut squash soup and I guess you didn't use a bone broth or you didn't use enough of it. So it was like Eating baby food essentially. So
0: Kristen lets me just make up recipes when we're here at home, but then when we have company over, she gets a little bit nervous that I'll be making something terrible you can't for the company.
1: So, the people. So the
0: rule is, if I'm making it for other people, I have to follow a recipe, which I, I
1: he does not like passively, that passively
0: aggressively resist Right. That,
1: but. Yeah. So your butternut squash soup tasted like baby food. So I think it just wasn't something I kind of gave up on it. I didn't know how good it could be. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway, we have all these butternuts so left over from last growing season, which is amazing. It is amazing to still have fresh produce that you grew months ago. And that's one thing I didn't when I when I didn't understand about gardening or homesteading, I kind of thought, what's the big deal? So you get some produce for a month and then you have to buy everything else. I didn't realize how things could store so easily. So we have a ton of butternut squashes that we picked last what August, September.
0: Right. For whatever September. reason, the butternut squash is also, a very hardy squash vine. It's, a, uh-huh. it's terrific. And it, for us, it's been very disease resistant and it's put out a ton of squashes. Right. So, so it's a winner as far as growing it. Too. I
1: mean, it's just amazing. You take a, a little seed and you put it in the dirt and then you have all these butternuts that last you through the winter. So I had a bunch um, in my basement and I have them on display, really pretty. I have these little farm crates with all these like, butternut squashes in them. And so I decided I was going to you know, try to make butternut squash soup. So I went to a friend's house and I told her, I was like, I'm going to, how do you make butternut squash soup? I have one recipe, but it seems kind of bland. How do you do it? And she's like a big avid, I don't know, soup maker or something. I don't know. She was really excited about it. So she kind of quickly jotted down a recipe for me that I won't be able to repeat to you. I'm sorry. It was kind of like from her mind to my mind, but you know, you bake apples, you take the skin, uh, the skin and the core out of apples and cut them up and you bake apples and carrots and onions. And then you take your squash and it's really simple. You just cut the butternut squash in half and then you scoop out the seeds and then you bake that. So you bake all those vegetables together at about, I did it about 375. Chickens love squash
0: seeds, by the way. Oh yeah,
1: save all the seeds for the chickens. But I baked the squashes and then the, the carrots and the apples and everything for in the oven until everything was soft. And then you scoop out all the, all the squash. You can peel the skin, I just didn't feel like doing that. I just scooped it out, it's real soft. You put it in a big pot and then you put it in with the apples and the carrots and the onions. And then you add so a lot. So this was the
0: step where when I had made it in years past, it was like, I'm only going to make this once or twice a year because it's such, it's so hard. And that's because then I was I was taking all of that and putting it in a blender. Okay, so... And it was terrible. Like, it was that blender effect where it doesn't really mix. It's just mixing at the bottom. and It's all stuck at the top. And it, it took forever.
1: Right. So this was where I have a shout out to my best friend. She kind of like changed the course of my soup making life so yeah. we're sitting in her house and dun, dun, dun. and well i'm telling her i'm gonna make this soup and it's funny we've been best friends from, since high school and it just hit me we used to like laugh about someday we'll be old and talk about like soup recipes and <laughs> we were like sitting around talking you made about it. you're there soup yeah. recipes yeah so <laughs> anyway <laughs> we didn't know we'd be homesteading together recipes yeah. but anyway so she was like you have to use my hand blender and I was like, no, I, I'm like, a, again, I've, I've said this before. I'm a min, minimalist kitchen gadget person. I was like, well, I'll just put it in the blender. It's fine. And she's like, no, you have to try my hand blender. You do not want to be staying there pouring hot stuff into a blender. You got to try it. And so I took her hand blender and it's, so you put everything in the pot, nice and hot. You take this hand blender, and you just stir it around in the pot.
0: Right, so a hand blender, then it has a little guard at the end, and then the blade, it's got a small blade within that guard, and you just you put it in a pot. And it
1: was amazing. It changed yeah. the course of the future of cooking butternut squash soup. Yeah. I don't have to pour things into a hot blender. You just You're over this big pot, and you're just blending it, and it blends beautifully and perfectly, and it was smooth. And the best part about this butternut squash soup was... I took bone broth that we had made from our chickens. Right. So So, other than
0: squash, the other big ingredient is bone broth.
1: Yes. So it was our squashes, our um, beautiful, healthy broth. I mean, this is just really healthy food. And so you pour the broth in to make it more of a soup and not a baby food consistency. And then you can add spices like nutmeg and salt and pepper and, you know, whatnot, uh, or sage or oregano, whatever, whatever spices you like. And then the other cool thing for us was we added our own cream from our cow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was this amazing soup, all from ingredients from our farm. And it was just great. It was a, it, and this hand blender changed everything. I bought one right away. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm doing, so I'm doing all this. I'm using my bone broth, my uh, squashes and cream, and I was like, "Man, I love homesteading." It's all coming together now. It's been a couple of years, and it's it's all you know. If you haven't listened to our podcast before, we had no background in this at all, and now it's all just becoming a lifestyle. And it's just been it's right. so fun.
0: In a couple of years, it'll be our apples right. as well. Yeah. Oh, yet. it's so
1: exciting. Yeah.
0: yeah it's so. delicious too.
1: Yeah, and then I had the kids because. You know they're homeschooled, so I'm, this we have this bright orange, you know, butternut squash, and I'm like, let's look up what's the nutrients in butternut squash, and it's just so healthy for you. It's so good for you, loaded with, you know, vitamins and things like that. So, it's yeah. it's just a fun experience all around.
0: That was excellent. So one of the other things we've been doing here in the homestead, well, by we I mean me, is mm-hmm. trimming all of the trees. So we planted probably a hundred fruit and nut trees of all different kinds. And we've been planting them, you know, they range in size. So this is the time of year when you trim your trees. And I've found that that is so much fun. I love trimming trees. Of the things I do on the homestead, it's one of my favorites. Trimming trees. It's very relaxing, trimming trees. Why do
1: you love it so much?
0: Well, the first few years I did it, I got really stressed out by it because I had looked up all these different techniques and I felt like, I was going to be making mistakes and I didn't really know what I was doing. So it was kind of a stressful experience to trim them. And now that I've got some experience under my belt, it's just turned into a really great thing. So, all right. So trimming trees, you generally want to do in the winter because that's going to be when the trees are dormant. It's not really going to hurt them to trim them. And it, It's actually going to help them. So you want to trim them before the buds start getting really big. And that just means the tree then is putting a lot of energy into the branches. You want to get them before that happens, uh, which is January, February um, here where we are in Maryland. And then other than that, it's just a very – Paul Gauchi, who's one of my heroes, he did the Back to Eden film. He's my gardening hero. (laughs) Uh, But he talks about it as being an art form. Uh, Trimming trees is an art form Mm. and it does feel like that. It's not a science. There's some, some general rules you follow. So like if a tree branch is growing directly back into the center of the tree, you cut that. Another general rule of thumb, Stefan Subkoviak from Miracle Farms, he did the permaculture orchard video, he talks about this, is that you don't want to cut more than a third of the tree. Hmm. So when you're trimming up the branches, you don't want to cut down more than a third of it. But what that means then is trimming becomes an opportunity to make the tree look like what you want. Like if you envision in your head what you want that tree to grow into, this is the chance to do it. So if it has branches that are in the wrong places you get to chop them off as long as you're not cutting down more than a third of the tree. So I've really enjoyed it because, you know, these trees grow in all different uh, directions. And then uh, I just, you know, this is the opportunity to make them look a whole lot better. So it's really kind of cool.
1: It's neat because, well, it's March 3rd right now, but even back in February, we were getting outside and you're starting to see little plants coming out. And I understand even more what spring cleaning is now. We've been kind of just removing a lot of the, old, old growth and the herbaceous plants have to get cut back to the ground. And so now's the time we've been outside getting ready for spring and you just see signs of spring everywhere. You see the buds swelling on the trees and, yeah. uh, Right, It's time to, we're going to be hitting the ground running real soon.
0: Yeah, it's this opportunity to reset all of the gardens to what we want them to look like since nothing's really growing, but the grass is turning green and even the woods are starting to get a little bit green because all the buds are starting to swell.
1: Well, that's been so fun because before we moved to our farm, I've never really seen that much grass. And now I look out at the pastures and every day it feels like the grass is getting greener and greener and greener. It's so exciting. Right,
0: so oddly enough, right, I have the cows on a small area right now. I don't want them trampling around on the pasture right now because all the little blades of grass are starting to come up and they'll just, you know, they'll set it back if I put them out there too early. Mm-hmm. But they look out over the fences and the gates and they see all that green grass. Right. And this happened last year and it's happening again this year. Our cow Carmela just starts to get mad at me. <laughs> She's, yelling She's at so us. angry that <laughs> she can't go on that that pasture and start eating that grass. She's she's so.
1: soon, just a couple more yeah, she's weeks. She's kinda
0: temperamental and this she gets she does not like hay this time of year.
1: Right, right. I mean so in the so grass fed cows in the winter you do have a time where the grass is dormant, so you feed them hay. And that's what she's been getting, and soon she'll be right back out eating all that grass again. Yep, so yep. really exciting. So we have been so amazed and blessed by how many people listen to this podcast who are not Catholic, who are from All different kind of faith backgrounds, but um, homesteading has really
0: attracted you to this podcast. Yeah, and we get some good feedback on that, too, is that in general, I think a lot of listeners, even if they're not Christian or not Catholic, they appreciate hearing this conversation and maybe learning a little bit more about Christians and Catholics.
1: Right. So today we are going to get Catholic... Yeah. Have some have some real Catholic discussion. Yeah,
0: well, especially early on, we did a number of podcasts that were a little bit more focused on the philosophical and the intellectual reasons why we're homesteading. Right. And we have some more ideas to add into that now. And I, I think it's a lot of fun.
1: Right. So, yeah, we if you're not Catholic, we just invite you to just sit in on this discussion. And it's really important for the the whole world, really. Yeah, it really so. is. Yeah.
0: All right. So one of the things that happens in America, in, in the United States, I think this is true in a lot of uh, more developed countries, but it's, it's really true here, is that our political system is divided into what they call two parties, and it's the Republicans and the Democrats. And that represents almost all the politicians that are elected. And the other way people describe that is liberal versus conservative. Mm-hmm. So there's this entire political system where you really get to choose one of two things. Mm-hmm. You're either choosing a Democrat or a Republican. And then a lot of the the news cycles especially start being completely focused in and around this, this political system. So mm-hmm. you're always choosing one of two things. You're either Republican or Democrat. And then what the other side wants to do is they want to win. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times that's done through identity politics and characterizing the other side is being evil and bad. So what you do when you want to win is you don't try and make really good points about your, whatever topic you're talking about and really develop that. And then maybe find some common ground. What you do is you talk about the other side as being evil. This person's terrible. They're right wing, they're left wing They're You're always describing the other side as, as being this, this far, you know, this, this totally outside the box, crazy group. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you say ultra-conservative or ultra-liberal, and you're really just trying to characterize the other side as bad. And so much of what happens in when we talk about values and morality and politics and religion and everything else finds itself getting grouped into that. And so what we've seen in our life is that that can happen within specific groups and the one that we're part of, the Catholic Church, when you say, well, that's a liberal Catholic. Well, that's a conservative Catholic. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you have to pick one of two sides. Mm -hmm. And then once you pick that side, you have to agree with everything that that side believes in. Mm -hmm. So if I say I'm a a liberal, that means I have to agree with the parts I like about being a liberal, but then I have to also agree with all the other stuff too. Or if I'm a conservative, I have to agree with the conservative, the Republican side on everything. And Mm -hmm. What we have come to do in our life and realize is that that's not something we actually need to do.
1: As Catholics. As
0: Catholics. Right. And as free-thinking people, that we can step outside of that fight. Mm -hmm. That big battle that's going on where one side's trying to defeat the other one. Mm We don't really need to be a part of it.
1: Well, that's one of the beautiful things about being Catholic. The Catholic Church is, you don't have to choose between the what the world is offering you. I mean, the world around us is offering us, you know, Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, and the Catholic Church says, hey, no, there's you know a third option. And right. I feel like that's what Jesus did too. Right. Um,
0: now, we still vote and we still take part in the system to a certain extent, but mm-hmm. um, let me describe it a little bit more. So if I am a conservative conservative catholic or a republican a lot of times as a christian or as a catholic one of the biggest reasons for that is i look at the republican party and i look at the conservative viewpoint and i see well they're pro-life and if i'm a catholic i say what's more vulnerable than a human baby i mean human babies need to be protected and that's a very long-standing solid teaching of the church and i want to i want to be there for the most vulnerable of human beings so uh if you believe that, if you believe that a, a baby is a human and that life begins at conception, then then they look at the issue of abortion. You say that's horrible, that's terrible. I can't, I could never agree with that. Therefore, I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative, and so they they go towards that side. But say you're you're someone who's more inclined to wanting to really hear the plight of the immigrant and you really want to take care of the poor and reach out to them and not just let the free market take over but you want to be able to insert government into the free market and take care of poor people and you look in the environment and you say this is a very important issue and it seems like the democrats are the ones that really take the environment Mm -hmm. seriously so you find yourself being drawn to that a lot of times for very good reasons you say well i'm a democrat I'm a liberal because these, you know, social justice matters mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And, and then you end up with these two sides that are then in conflict with each other. Mm-hmm. And you say, as a, as a pro-life Catholic, as a conservative Catholic, as a Republican Catholic, I say, well, I'm against the liberals then. Mm-hmm. And if they're really for immigration and social justice, I start to discount those things mm-hmm. as really being that important. If they're for the environment, I start to discount that as being important. Likewise, if you're on the liberal side, you say, well, look at those pro-life conservative Catholics. And maybe Mm -hmm. that issue isn't quite as important as they think it is. Mm -hmm. And and I find myself distancing myself from that issue. And in all cases, we've just come to to find that that's not right.
1: Right. I don't think that's the heart of God. You know, the division, that, that division and that hatred. And, you know, Jesus prays that we be one, that we're unified. And how much more good could we do if we were unified, right as you know as catholics
0: and the good Christians. news is like the real exciting thing and i found a lot of freedom in it
1: mm-hmm.
0: is that i don't have to pick a side yeah. like i don't have to i can be really for the environment right? and i can be very pro life <laughs> and i can be very much for the immigrant i can be very much for social justice i get to say yes to all of those things and i don't care if If the 24-hour news cycle tells me I have to pick a side, I don't really need to pick a side.
1: Yeah, so I would love to be a bumper sticker family, but Pete won't let us put bumper stickers.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: And I was like, I want to get a bumper stickers that say, save the baby whales and save the baby humans. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be really cool? (laughs)
0: Because I mean, I feel like
1: everyone's like, they say, save the baby whales, but we should be saving the baby humans. And I'm like, yes, we should save both. Let's right. say both. Why do we have to fight each other on this? Right. You know, you can go to your family party and sit with your... If you're a conservative, you can go and you can sit with your liberal cousin and you can just talk about the environment and you can be on the same team. I mean, how freeing is that? That's very freeing. How freeing is that? Like, I mean, we, there already is a war against evil, a war against the devil. That's what we believe as Catholics. We don't need to be warring against the good in each other.
0: Right. So right. In the Nicene Creed, which is what not just Catholics, but most Christians would would be able to quote the Nicene Creed. It says, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Mm -hmm. And that word Catholic right there doesn't, uh, you know, if if you're not a Catholic, it doesn't mean the Catholic denomination. It means universal. That's Mm -hmm. what that word means. One holy Catholic and universal church. We get to be universal. And so... I've dropped the, the word that I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal. Like that, those words are not big enough to encompass mm-hmm. me. They're not big enough to encompass the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is universal. And so is the Christian faith, even across denominations, is that it's a holistic, universal faith. And we, we want to promote the dignity of human beings and dignity of all creatures in everything. We're not just going to pick one, one list.
1: So over the past couple of years, the, these things that we were just talking about have been really growing in, in Pete and in my heart. This wasn't something that we just... I mean, before we were definitely... We would have said we're conservative Catholics and everybody else is bad or something. So right. these things have been growing in our heart. And then when you start to read about these things from other voices, it's just a confirmation and it's um, really encouraging. So we recently read a book called The Joyful Mystery by Christopher J. Thompson from the Emmaus Road Publishing. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Well, first I want to give a little bit of background. So the Pope will write something called an encyclical. So like a letter to the world addressing something in culture for that time.
0: Right. So from a Catholic point of view, encyclicals are something Catholics take very seriously. It's It's a specific thing about church teaching that the pope is addressing and saying this is important for us to be thinking about and dialoguing about right now. Mm -hmm. And then as Catholics, they want to, you know, we really want to say, okay, the pope thinks this is really important. So Mm -hmm. we're going to consider it really important.
1: Right. And we as Catholics really believe that the Holy Spirit appoints the pope. So if the pope is writing a letter to the world, the world should be listening. Right. So but oftentimes it takes a long time. It can take years for that encyclical to be trickled down and explained and and it needs to be explained in different languages and I don't just mean languages like the language that you speak but people are going to understand things in different ways so I think when an encyclical comes out it's important that there are a lot of different conversations going on a lot of different dialogue about that encyclical because it often means a change in culture and that's going to take time that that that's going to take time and conversations and, okay, how do we do this?
0: Right. So when the Catholic church says something, and this is all Christian faith, is that we believe that you should be following your conscience as a person, that you're not just supposed to blindly go where you have to go. God gave us free will and the church wants to respect that. So I think some people think of, of Catholics or Christians as just this mindless group that does whatever the church tells them to do. And that's not true. The church really wants everybody to be chewing on this when it mm-hmm. comes out. We need to be digesting it is that uh, an encyclical comes out and we're supposed to be dialoguing about it, hitting it from all different angles and seeing seeing how to understand it in different ways and really be chewing on it.
1: Right. So I want to give an example from the past. So um, around in the 1960s, when the birth control pill was coming out and the world was just so excited for the birth control pill, like, oh, this is going to change all of our lives and it's going to make our lives so much better. Um, in 1968, Pope Paul VI came out with an encyclical called Humanae Vitae, so on human life. And he, in this encyclical, spoke to the world who was really excited about the birth control pill.
0: Right. the and, You know, yeah, the world, <laughs> picture this. The world's really excited about it. It's supposed to bring a whole lot of freedom to women. Right,
1: right. So, and
0: then the Pope comes out and says, no, it's bad. Right.
1: So, no, no we're reaffirming church teaching that... Artificial contraception is immoral and abortion is immoral. I mean, it's just reaffirming these teachings. And I think when this came out, a lot of people were like rebelling against it. No, this is, you know. Right.
0: The church wants to live in the Stone Age. Right. Things like that. And there was was open rebellion from a lot of places against this and disagreement. And maybe you've never even heard that. Maybe you don't know that the Catholic Church is against contraception. Maybe you don't know that anybody would be against it. Right. Uh, so the 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 church has some really, really good reasons why it thinks contraception is something that tears apart marriages and breaks down the dignity of the human person. Mm-hmm. And so so you might not agree with that, but just know that the church has some really strong reasons why it believes that. And so Pope Paul VI uh, was reaffirming that in Humana Vitae.
1: Right. And appealing to natural law, like this is how our bodies... We're designed to work and, and we respect natural law. And um, so, anyway. Right, anyway. so
0: natural law, that's another <laughs> theological term. And natural law means that we, as it, the world is intelligible, and as intelligent beings, we can look at uh, creatures and know what are their ultimate good, what, is their, what are the ends and ultimate goods of a creature. And so, when we say, you know, the, the ground is full of microbes it seems like a really bad idea to come through with pesticide and fungicide and kill them all, Mm. that's actually appealing to natural law. There's something about that Mm. that seems really, really wrong. Like this is breaking the way it should be. Mm -hmm. And so I might not know anything more than that as a scientist uh, or if, if I'm not a scientist or I don't have any inclination to, but it seems bad. Like pouring poison on the ground seems bad. And then we can go into a lot greater depth about what are the actual actual consequences of doing that. So again, in this case, it's uh, a woman has fertility, so does a man, and breaking that fertility through contraception or sterilization is bad. It's breaking what is natural. So if I break my leg, the doctor fixes it. There's very few things Mm. in the medical world where we're intentionally breaking them, and that's Mm. what contraception and sterilization are doing. Something that is otherwise functioning well, we're now breaking it.
1: Right. Now there is so much... To this, and this is not a—we're not doing a podcast right now on contraception. I mean, this right. this goes so deep, and there's uh, there there's so much to, to the dignity of marriage. And but again, we're we're not going into that right now. I'm just trying to show that. So you know, an encyclical comes out, and the world's kind of like, ah, I agree with this, or I don't agree with this. And it takes years for you know theologians and people to kind of interpret this to their culture and to, to share this with people. So, you know, John Paul II came out with Theology of the Body, which is, you know, this great, you know, teaching on, on the theology of the body and the dignity of the body and, and sexuality and marriage. And again, then that's, that kind of gets broken down and interpreted. And I feel like for Pete and I, our age group, I mean, we have so many resources to explain to us humanivite and Theology of the Body that we just get it. Like, it is clear to us. And right. it was really easy for us to decide that we were not going to use artificial contraception in our marriage. And it's been so good for our marriage.
0: Right. Um, to everyone who disagreed with humanivite when it first came out, it would have been a lot easier for them if they had St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body because he goes into incredible amount of detail right. about explaining why those conclusions are what they are
1: right so that was for for that time and and we are just benefiting so much from it in our day-to-day in our marriage now and i i say that as kind of a example because now we're going to bring that over to l'dalto see, pope francis his encyclical and you know his encyclical was addressing some important things for our time which is the we are just degrading the environment as fast as we can we have no um we have very little respect for um, the dignity of creation and for the—we um, have a little reverence for the living things around us. And we're just—you know, there's so much consumerism and—
0: um, Right, materialism, consumerism, right. what Pope Francis has, has called the throwaway culture where mm-hmm. we just— we we throw out things that aren't convenient for us or that we've used and we can now just get rid of, and that means human beings, and it means all the materials of the good, and it means the environment. He's telling us to take this really seriously, that mm-hmm. globalism has some real risks to it, and materialism and technology have some real risks to it, we need to address them. And he's also using natural law, the same way Pope Paul did for Humanae Saint Francis is also do- Pope. Francis. Pope Francis is also doing in Laudato Si. He's he's talking about natural law and and doing a lot of things that are breaking it.
1: Right, right. So, this book, The Joyful Mystery, is a great one of the great voices, one of the fir- maybe one of the first voices that is helping us to understand the importance of Laudato Si. Break it down for us in our culture. What does this look like? And one thing that we, and we're, we're tying this all together, one of the, the beautiful things that we see about this book, The Joyful Mystery, is it's another voice to try to bring together the left and the right into um, the 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 great teachings of the Catholic Church. We all right. want to be, um, I think the goal is to be in truth. We want to be in truth. And whether you're left or right, um, it's time to kind of lay those down and come into the fullness of truth um, in the Church's teachings.
0: Right, so humanivite comes out, and one of the effects of that is here in this country, at least, is that people divided themselves into camps. There were those for it, the conservatives, and those who were against it, the liberals. Mm-hmm. And it, it promotes this idea of tribalism. We gotta go one direction or the other mm-hmm. and and now we can understand humanivita a whole lot better after years have have come and uh, and now we see Ladato Si come out and, and Pope Francis, a lot of what he's talking about. And it feels like some of the same thing is happening. There's people who are for it, the liberals, and people who are blowing it off or who are against it, the conservatives. And again, that's not something we need to do. Mm-hmm. We don't need to divide ourselves into those groups. Mm-hmm. We didn't need to do it before. And we don't need to do it now. Mm-hmm. Is What we want to see is, is a faith and a people that accepts all of that 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 mm-hmm. takes it all seriously,
1: right? And and this book. So if you do see yourself as like, if you do identify with being more of a conservative Catholic, I think this book really helps. It, it, I mean, bring in the richness of the church. So it, this book, every almost every chapter, there's a different. There's different quotes from different theologians and, you know, people going back from Thomas Aquinas that this is not a new trendy church teaching. This is something that the church has always believed from, you know, Cardinal Ratzinger and just, you know, lots of different theologians uh, reaffirming the same teaching of respecting natural law,
0: having a reverence for creation. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that really helped me a lot with this book is he's taking on a topic that we really consider to be important right now, but he's unlocking Laudato Sië. And the issues that it brings up related to the environment, and then he's at the end of every chapter. There's there's all these quotes from what would be considered uh, some of the powerhouse voices in the Catholic world. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're Joseph Ratzinger, who was Pope Benedict, and Joseph Piper, and mm-hmm. and uh, Pope Francis, and then uh, Thomas Aquinas. There's a lot of I don't I'm not. I can't just read Thomas Aquinas, uh-huh. you know, but he's got some really solid paragraphs from Thomas Aquinas in there that were helpful to me.
1: Right. And isn't your buddy, your best buddy, Bishop Barron? He's yeah.
0: Your hero. Yeah. Bishop <laughs> Robert Barron's kind of like a hero of mine and, um, he's very much into Thomas Aquinas. So I've, I've been enjoying getting to know Thomas Aquinas lately.
1: Yes. So, um, yeah, th- so the book, the book is great. I will say one thing about the book. If you are, um, if you were, we have a lot of people here who are not familiar with Catholic theology, this book is really um, written with that kind of mind. So the language might not be familiar to you. It's I, I really recommend this book for people who might see themselves as the more like theological, maybe Thomas Aquinas types who just um, love Catholic theology. This would be a great book for like a Catholic theology class um, and discussion. It's and and it appeals to that. I think we need to to have literature and resources out there that appeal to each different kind of mind. And that's why I say we need to speak in lots of different languages to to appeal to different types of people. And this book is a great for people who are, you know, real good thinkers, who like, you know, logic and, and natural law and and theology and things like that.
0: Right. So when we decided to homestead, we a lot of you know, we talked about this in some of our first podcasts, but a lot of what we were looking at is we're looking at the world. And we're finding that it's doing a lot of things we don't agree with, mm-hmm. that we're spending money every day taking part in activities that we don't agree with from the way our food is being produced and all of the material goods that we buy. We're just these consumers that are buying thousands of different products. And all those products are, are toxic to us in some ways. And they're hurting the environment and they're hurting people that are involved in the process. And so we want to we want to opt out of some of that mm-hmm. and that. You know, shortly thereafter, Laudato Si' comes out, and Pope Francis is, is articulately saying everything that we've been getting excited about, and the things that we're offended by, he's offended by, and and this conversation then becomes center stage in the Catholic Church, which is wonderful to us because we're you know we take our faith very seriously, mm-hmm. and and we felt like not only are we doing something that really makes sense to us, but that the Church is very aware of this right now too, mm-hmm. and. I think we just love finding books like this and resources like this because it's something that is centered around faith, but it's taking very seriously the things that we're, that we're taking seriously.
1: Sorry about that thudding. That was our children running up the stairs.
0: Yeah, it's always been <laughs> remarkable to me that like a 25 or 30 pound person can stomp harder than I can. <laughs> I know, so wow.
1: <laughs> um, so anyway, well, one thing I just love about this book is how its its aim, I think, is to help bring unity to the left and the right, and bring us into unity, into truth of of the beauty of Catholic teaching. And the thing that comes to mind for me is when Jesus says, um, how can you say, let me remove that splinter in your eye when you do not notice the wooden beam in your own eye? Remove the wooden beam from your own eye first. Then you can see clearly to remove the splinter in your brother's eye. And I, I think we all need to kind of look at ourselves and where am I not in truth? And, and am I making those difficult decisions to live out truth. So with these encyclicals does come action on our part. So it's not just this like, oh that's a great idea. Yeah, the environment's beautiful, protect the environment. There are it it does require action. It does require maybe different choices in how we spend our money. Right. It 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 does require a lifestyle change. And, right. and I think when humanity came out, it was like, whoa, how can people make this lifestyle change? Like, right. you know, not using contraception, but it does require a lifestyle change.
0: Right. I have this memory of being younger, probably in high school or college, and seeing that there was some kind of large scale development play, taking place in California, I think. And the environmentalists, quote unquote, were getting in the way because it was the habitat of of, like, the spotted owl or something, some, some little owl. And I remember, like, mocking that and being very, like, writing it off, being like, why would we let some stupid little owl get in the way of development? And that, that story reminds me of how I viewed everything <laughs> related to the environment, mm-hmm. that I thought that there was these nutzos out there called the environmentalists and who cares what they thought. Mm-hmm. It's fine for us to keep doing whatever we want if it's convenient for us Mm -hmm. as humans. And Mm -hmm. so that has been called to question for me quite a bit Mm -hmm. over the last several years as I've seen the impact of what humans are doing. Uh, Here's another quote from the book. He says, "'Students and peers alike seem to succumb over the years to what some have called a nature deficit disorder, as if the issues of the environment and ecology were somehow not proper material for serious Catholics to consider.'" and that to take the environment too seriously showed a lack of formation or decorum, a faint and fawning sentimentality over things that ought not to occupy us. But such a detour from nature, however, is catastrophic for Catholic culture and ends up placing us in a rather alien position vis-a-vis the cosmos, which is our home. And I think where it hits me is that I could just write all of that stuff off, but at the end of the day, I'm spending thousands of dollars a year on stuff. On materials and foods and goods that I'm buying, and I'm taking part in technology and entertainment that has a huge consequence to this world. So I can just write it off. Meanwhile, I'm taking part of it every single day, and I need to take those those things a little more seriously. Am I doing something that's hurting another person? Am I doing something that is needlessly hurting the earth or breaking natural law?
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I. I think another thing that this book does for Catholics is to remind us that the church is asking us to help lead this effort in in protecting the environment and bringing back a reverence and a respect for the environment. This is a Catholic issue. Right. And I, I think that's what this book is reminding us.
0: And it can be very controversial to someone who understands, say, a certain issue of the environment, of ecology, and they say, look, we're destroying this ecology somewhere and these tenant farmers are being walked all over by a big corporation. It's very controversial then if the Catholic says, that's not that big an issue. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep buying those products anyway because it's convenient for me. Mm-hmm. And then that that person looks at the Catholic and says, I don't know what kind of faith that is if they think something this big isn't a big deal. And so, like Kristen says, I think as Catholics, we need to be out in the forefront of this conversation and, and trying to walk the walk. You know, Mm -hmm. if we, if we see something bad, no matter what it is in this world, you know, we stand against it and Mm -hmm. we, we choose not to participate in it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. God's heart is for justice and that should be our heart too. Justice and goodness and beauty. Um, So I'm going to end with a quote from the book um, on what Catholics are called to do. Catholics are called to value the goodness of God's creation, both intrinsically and instrumentally. Catholics are called to aesthetically appreciate the beauty of God's creation. Catholics are called to give reverence to the sacramental earth and universe because they manifest God's presence and character. Catholics are called to respect the various ways in which the diverse constituents of earth praise God according to their natures. Catholics are called to cooperate with other species and systems to sustain the integrity of our planet Catholics are called to be companions with other species within the dynamic web of life. Catholics are called to use other constituents of earth with restraint and gratitude to God. Catholics are called to live morally virtuous lives in relation to one another and to what, to other species and systems now and in the future. Catholics are called to love God's creation, especially the earth. Furthermore, Catholics are called to see themselves within an all-inclusive context of other species, ecosystems, earth, and the entirety of the universe as called forth to completion by God. Valuate, valuing, appreciating, revering, respecting, cooperating, acting companion, companionably, using with constraint and gratitude to God, living virtuously, and loving creation are characteristics that Catholics can develop in themselves and nurture in others. And that's a quote from James Schaefer. The book has a lot of great quotes, so we definitely recommend it, especially to those of you who have a great theological mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the book is just pulling together resources that are really terrific, so I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. So um, I think that's it for us today. Yeah. And um, thank you so much, and thank you to um, everyone from (coughs) Emmaus Ministries for the work that you do. Yep. Um, And again, the name of the book is The Joyful Mystery by Christopher J. Thompson. Um, And all right, I guess that's it for today. And um, we are excited to have lots to podcast about um, with the spring coming just around the corner.
0: Yep. All right, everybody. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.